Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I'm mixing up a little bit. I got the table here. I'm the only one tall enough for the table. So Pastor Mike's out of town, so I broke out the table. Hey, we are smack dab in the middle of our summer series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we've called this series The Unexpected Gospel. And what we're doing is we are looking into the scripture and we're looking at things that Jesus does that are maybe countercultural or different than uh, how we would expect them to be. So we're going to hang out in Mark chapter 10. So if you want to turn there, smartphone, uh, Bible, however you want to do that and get there while I kind of tell you a story about something unexpected I remember happening. Uh, I remember being a freshman in high school, so I'm about 15 years old. And uh, I, I mean, can't take anything serious, right? Like just that high school boy. And I remember walking into physics class after lunch and here sitting in the front row is this girl and this girl's asleep and this girl's always asleep. And so like it was funny and, and whatever, but the teacher, you know, he's just, he's fed up of it, you can tell. And he's, he's tired of someone not listening to him because every day he's telling this girl, you, you can't sleep, you gotta wake up. And so he tells her to wake up and she doesn't wake up. And so finally, he does what, what anyone wants to do, right? He walks over to his desk and just doesn't say anything. And he picks up the biggest textbook he can find. And he walks back to the girl. And now these are like long tables, right? So there's no one next to her, so he's not going to like hit her with the book. And he just takes that book and he just slams it down on the table, right? As hard as he can right next to her. And she just jumps out of her seat and she's frightened and scared. And... Um, and just totally unexpected, right? And um, I want you to remember that story as, as we kind of work our way through this scripture and as we see Jesus do some unexpected things this morning. So as we open, we're going to open up Mark chapter 10. Like I said, we're going to start verses 32 and 34. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, and they were on the road. They is the disciples and Jesus and this crowd of people following him. And they're going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him. And flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus tells his disciples this. He tells them about what is coming, what is going to happen. And the disciples' amazement here is fascinating to me. You know, they, um, it's an inspiration to be continually amazed by what Jesus is doing in our lives and what Jesus accomplished and did on the cross. And what Jesus was doing is he was preparing them for the future. He was preparing them um, for, for what was going to come, for some of the pain and suffering that they were going to endure and, um, and Jesus was sharing with them a road they were all on, a road that was, that was not easy, a road that was going to be hard at times, um, because Jesus has not promised an easy road for us to walk all the time. And the Apostle Paul calls for us to imitate Jesus. In Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus gave himself up for us, and we all are called to do the same, to, to imitate Jesus and to put others uh, before ourselves in ways. And there's, there's things that are going to be hard in this world, and there's, 
Um, and there's things that, that when we are called and we choose to follow uh, Jesus that we're going to, you know, we're going to have these moments of intense difficulty, right? Not everything's going to be easy for us. And, and when Jesus talks about his death, he talks about it in details, right? He talks about what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. And that's no different than how Jesus looks at your life and my life. God knows the intimate details. He knows every little thing that's going to happen. And there's no surprises or, or accidents when it comes to God. And hearing about what will happen to Jesus. So Jesus tells his, his disciples what's going to happen. John and James, who were brothers... They have one last request of Jesus. And in verses 35 and 36, it says this. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Notice they don't even ask a question, right? It's just a commandment. We want you to do this. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Let's stop for a second and touch on, on something that I think is pretty easy to overlook here. And that's, how often do we do what the brothers do? We just make a command of Jesus. We treat Jesus and God like a, like a vending machine. Like, today I want a Snickers, today I want a Kit Kat, whatever it is. But, but we, we look at God in these different ways, and all we do is think about what can God do for me? How can God quench some thirst or some hunger that, that I have and do something for me? And we become like the brothers, James and John. And it's an easy thing to do. And, and everyone here, I mean, we could, we could think about our lives and we could find these very specific times that we've done that on one level or another. We've just made a statement to God saying, I need you to do this for me right now. Because this is what I need. And if you were Jesus, what would you say to the brothers? You're right on the heels of telling them that you're going to die. And all they can think of is themselves, it seems. I know what I'd want to say. Right? I'd want to slam that textbook on the table. And I'd want to make a point to them, and I'd want to say, guys, don't you see this? What are you doing? Don't you understand what I'm talking about? You're not paying attention. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Jesus replied to them, and he simply said, what do you want me to do for you? When Jesus asked that question, it shows a really, uh, just a really beautiful part of Jesus that I know I so often forget. It shows me that Jesus knows my heart and he knows the selfishness that lies inside me. And yet he says, what do you want from me? He, he says, I want to meet you in this place in your life. You know, Jesus cares. Jesus cares about your wants and your desires and these, and these things that, that are inside of us. And he shows that to the brothers there. Our narrative continue on, continues in verse 37. And we see exactly what the brothers wanted. Verse 37 says this, it says, And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. See, the disciples wanted to be served. James and John were in what people consider Jesus' inner circle, right? They were, um, they were kind of the real close group of, of friends and, and people that were with him, and they wanted the special privilege. And they were taking the very last opportunity 
before Jesus went to the cross in Jerusalem to just squeeze every last bit out of him that they could. They wanted to squeeze that privilege out, right? They were climbing the ladder. They're trying to gain privilege as they grew in influence. Pretty, pretty parallel to our American society that we live in. Our society tells us that the more influence we gain, the more prestige we have, the more people should serve us and the more people should respect us and the more privilege we have. And the brothers here are demonstrating exactly what Jesus came to abolish. Jesus broke down the societal norms in so many ways. He's the king that has come to humble himself among his servants. You know, I think the brothers were probably kind of like that celebrity. You know, you watch the news or whatever website and you see that really embarrassing video of the celebrity that is saying, don't you know who I am? Right? They're, they walk into the restaurant and they don't have a, a, a reservation and the hostess doesn't recognize them and they're, they're screaming, don't you know who I am? And eventually the police are there and it's just a, a disaster. And they're saying, I, I deserve to be served. I deserve to be served. And in some ways, that's what the brothers were doing. Right? They're saying, because we've done this, we deserve this. And Jesus, again, another moment, he could have slammed that textbook on the table, but he doesn't do that. He calmly responds to the brothers and tells them what they will experience when they follow Jesus. Now, what this isn't, is this isn't like a health and wealth moment, right? This isn't a, a, a prosperity moment of like, you follow Jesus, you're going to be rich, you're going to be healthy, all that. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, um, you follow me, and you're going to have some suffering and some sorrow in your life, right? You're going to have this, the, these hard things that are going to come. And I don't think John and James necessarily understood what was happening. I think that they're still thinking that, that Jesus talking about going to die in Jerusalem um, may not actually come true. And he may be this king who's going to rule in the flesh and, and rule over the people. And remember, we know um, that Jesus was perfect. As his church, we, we know that, and we know that as a truth, uh, but the brothers maybe had not realized that yet. So John and James, they ask to be with Jesus in his glory, and Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus says, hold on a second, slow down. You don't even know what you're asking me. You just see the end of the journey, and you see this glory that I'm talking about, and this glory that's going to come, um, but that glory is one of suffering and of death. And while Jesus discusses the cup and the baptism that we just read, he's, he's talking about this suffering and this hardship that is going to come to him and that he has, has predicted and has been prophesied over him. So Jesus was saying the road that, that, you, um, that you're talking about and these seats that you want, that's a road that is full of sorrow and suffering. Now, of course, Jesus then adds that even through sorrow and suffering, he can't even give them what he wants, what they want, right? He can't even... He can't even they, they want to sit at the right and left hand, and that's not even his to give. He says, no, those places of honor, they're filled by God's sovereign decision, that there's nothing you can do, right? It doesn't matter that you're my friend. It doesn't matter that, um, that you've done good deeds. It doesn't, none of those things matter. Jesus says those, those things are already set aside um, by the Father in his sovereignness. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 41 the narrative shifts now to the other ten. So we got the two, and now there's the other ten disciples. And it says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. 
Now we get to ask the question, are they being indignant in, in uh, the fleshly way? Are they being indignant in a righteous way? And the fact that Jesus seems to follow up and, and, and discipline them in some way and indicates that, that this was probably jealousy, right? This was not a, a healthy, righteous anger that they're feeling. And, um, and I, like, I kind of thought about this. I put this in this slide. Let's take these 13 people, okay? So we got Jesus... And we got James and John, we got the other 10 disciples. Let's put them all in a work office environment. So here they are. They're in some skyscraper somewhere. And Jesus is in the quarter office, right? Jesus is in his office. And it's lunchtime. And here's about what happened. Uh, the 10, 10 of the other people go off to lunch, and the two top salesmen stick around. And the two salesmen decide to sneak into the boss's office and pitch some new idea to him. Um, and... And, and they don't tell the rest that they're doing this, right? They're hoping they can get ahead. They're hoping their bonus at the end of the year is going to be better than everybody else's. So they sneak off into the office. Now, put yourself in the other salesman's shoes. You walk back in. Here's the brothers. They're pitching this idea. You are just frustrated that they went and did this without you knowing. You didn't think of it first. So that's when the talking behind the back starts. The emails start flying, right? All that sort of stuff that we all know all too well that's happening in these work environments. And what's the boss to do? So what he does. Jesus walks out of his office. He stands there. He channels his inner Michael Scott. And he says, well, I thought I was going to get more laughs. Okay, so <laughs> you need to go watch the office. So, the, so, um, so Jesus walks out, channels his Michael Scott, and he says, get in the conference room. And, and they all walk in there, and they sit there. And Jesus says this to them. And this infamous staff meeting in the conference room, Jesus says this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's read that last one again. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. Now here we see Jesus, he's flipping tables again, right? He is just throwing social expectation and the, and the social ladder of hierarchy um, over and, and changing everything. Um, and what this does is it makes sense because the view that one person would be worth more than another flies in the face of the idea that all of us are made in God's image, right? We have worth because of that, because we are made in God's image. And therefore, wealth and power should not be used to serve um, in, in, a, in a bad way, to, to rule over people, right? Wealth and power should rightly be used to serve those who are equal to us, um, but serve those that are in need, due to circumstance, social position, physical condition, whatever that is. But he's not saying someone is higher up on the ladder because of something. Now, um, in, in Jewish writing and, and in narratives, what, one of the things that is, that is true is that what is not said, it can typically be as important as what is said. And so here we see um, that Jesus, Jesus specifies what he's going to do. Right? He specifies that he will be a ransom uh, for, for his people. He'll be a ransom for many. And, and what he does is he shows this is the greatest love. This is the thing that is above all. 
Now, what Jesus didn't do is he didn't specify the specific deeds that you and I and us and and people all over the world um, will assume. He didn't specify how for us to be servants and to be to be slaves, like he said, is how that plays out. Okay, and I believe that there's a reason for that. And I believe that what that reason is is that he is leaving that to the Holy Spirit for uh, to discern with us what that looks like, what different servanthoods in our lives look like. He specifies the specifics. Right, are, are going to be as numerous as there are people. I mean, we're in this room. We're representing hundreds of different ways that God is going to call us to serve the world. And as we spend time reading the Bible and, and serving people and and, uh, and and praying, God's going to, uh, you know, God's going to convict our hearts. He's going to speak to our minds. He's going to help us to figure out exactly where in this world it is that we are meant to serve and make a difference. Now in the world the disciples lived in and in the world that we live in, uh, people with, with influence tended to rule over the rest. And Jesus came to call his followers to do something different. He said, it shall not be so among you. I want to ask, can you imagine what would our world be like if we put others first instead of ourselves? If our first thought was to care and to serve for someone else before we uh, before we thought about meeting our own needs first. I'm going to tell you a story about a gal I met a few days ago. Um, her name's Brandy, and Brandy currently lives at the Women and Children's Crisis Shelter on Sprague. So let me put this in, in perspective for us. Um, here's the crisis shelter across the street, topless espresso stand that, um, that they're running prostitutes out of and at this hotel behind you. Next door is the Hells Angels Clubhouse. So we're not talking like Colbert. We're not talking right around church, right? This is not great. This is a rough, rough part of town. So after, um, I remember I showed up and I met Brandy and I talked to Brandy and I came in and I thought that Brandy worked there. So I thought that she was uh, a, a Union Gospel Mission staff member that was working there. And I thought that because of how she was interacting with people. She was helping the kids get food, and she was talking to the women, and I saw her praying with people. So after we're all done eating and spending time with the ladies, we, we go down into this basement and to talk to one of the directors from UGM, and we're talking to them, and he says, hey, can I, um, can I bring down someone that's living here to tell you, and she can tell you her testimony and share with you? And we were like, sure. Well, down the stairs comes Brandy. And I think to myself, well, okay, whatever. This is, she works here, someone else is coming, and it wasn't. So Brandy starts to walk us through the past two years of her life. And Brandy's life looked like this. Two years ago, Brandy was on meth, had lost all of her teeth, had lost everything that she had, had lost her children, had lost her boyfriend, everything. And Brandy got arrested for drug possession. And Brandy had two choices. She'd hit rock bottom and it'd finally come down to this. Brandy either got to go to prison or Brandy got to go into a rehabilitation program. And Brandy chose rehab. So Brandy ends up at Anna Ogden Hall here in Spokane. She goes through their program. She goes out, she gets a job. She gets somewhere to live and life is looking up. In the middle of this program, Brandy becomes a believer and she surrenders her life to Jesus. Brandy's life is looking great. 
and then she got laid off, and then she couldn't afford where she lived, and now Brandy lives at the crisis shelter again. Except this time it's different. Because this time, she's 19 months later, she's been sober for 19 months, she's not on meth, and she has a new perspective on life. It wasn't what she expected, and she'd walked the road of sorrow and suffering, but God had put her where he wanted her. She's suffering, but she had a relationship with Jesus. And she admitted to us that night, on Thursday night, that she didn't know exactly why God had her where he had her. But she told us a couple of things she did know. And this was number one. Number one, she said she was going to be a yes girl for God. That whatever God put in front of her, she was going to do, and she wasn't going to ask questions about it. If God put her somewhere, it must be for a reason. And that was number two. There was a reason she was where she was, and she had no clue why she was there. But if she was there, she was going to serve the people around her with everything that she had. She was going to use any strength she had to, to inspire and impact these women and these kids for them to make a decision for Jesus and to see their lives transformed and changed. And Brandy was inspired. She was in that situation and she knew that she was sent to serve people just like Jesus was. And with Jesus, she found purpose and acceptance and grace. Now, we can't serve people like Jesus served people without Jesus working through us and in us. Okay? If, if we don't have Jesus in us and working through us, we can go out and we can serve all we want. It's just not the same. It's not the same as if the Holy Spirit is working in us and is empowering us and has transformed us and is helping us to serve like he did. Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, as you are serving the Lord Christ. That answers the question. How do you serve the bad boss? How do you serve the rude neighbor, the family member who wants to write you off because you're a Christian, the college professor who thinks you're an idiot because you're a Christian, right? That tells us right there, okay? It says you're not serving for men. You're serving for Jesus. And we're able to serve these people because we really serve Jesus first, not those other people. Our takeaway today, Jesus was sent to serve, and so are we. And Jesus was sent to serve, and so are we. We are sent to serve this world and to make a difference for Jesus. The world that, that we live in every day, that we all walk around in and live, says... I deserve to be served, right? That's, our, that's this structure, this status is I deserve to be served. We walk around and that's what the world tells us. Climb the ladder. You deserve to be served. You deserve to have people there. And Jesus says, follow me and serve me with your whole life. Follow me and serve people with everything that you have. Jesus was sent to serve and so are you and I. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to this earth and dying on a cross for us so that we may have our eternal lives changed. God, I just want to pray with and, and for the person that's here this morning that, that doesn't know you, Lord. I want to pray with them and, and pray, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for 
being here with us through every high and every low. Lord, we uh, want to commit our lives to you this morning. And Lord, we know the road is not always going to be easy. We know there's going to be, be those moments like Brandy had where, where we're at the high of the mountain and all of a sudden we're in the valley, Lord. But we know you and only you, Jesus, can bring us through that valley. And we want to put our faith in you this morning. And Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that you will empower us to serve this broken world. That Holy Spirit, you will speak to each one of us about that place um, that you have for us to make a difference. Lord, for those people that you want us to share you with. And God, we, we thank you and we love you this morning. And everybody said, Amen. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.